All right, notice in verse 29, I want to point out some things in this story. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon to my hand, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Okay, and I'm not going to read the whole story again, but you all read as he was going through there how, sure enough, he ends up winning. He comes back home, and then what greets him first, he was thinking it would probably be like one of the animals or things that, that he owned, but it was his daughter. His daughter meets him, and then he, all of a sudden, you know, he rents his clothes. He's like, you know, you brought me very low. I've made a vow to God. I have to sacrifice you. And we see in the story that the Bible says that Jephthah did according to his vow. Jephthah sacrificed his daughter. Now, people read Judges chapter 11, and obviously it concerns them when you see this. When you see Jephthah going and sacrificing his daughter, and you say, you know, how could that be? You know, and, but notice, I want to point out a few things about this passage. Let's go ahead and read a little bit, uh, a little bit more of this. So, um, verse 32 says, So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them. From Aurora, even until it cometh to Minnith, twenty cities under the plain of the vineyards in a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Now, remember, what before Jephthah fought this battle, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, right? We see in this passage that the Lord delivered him. I mean, the Lord gave Jephthah a great victory. The Lord did a great thing through Jephthah during this time. And so it's clear God's in on this, right? God's in on what's going on with Jephthah. And so it's in verse 34, he comes to his house and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. And she was his only child beside her. He had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her, he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low and thou art one of them that trouble me for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord and I cannot go back. He, Jephthah made a promise. He promised he was going to sacrifice whatever came through first. You think he'd have thought, you know, and I have a daughter who tends to want to greet me when I come back home. You know, my you know, Lana, she often greets me when I come back home. Sometimes it's the cat, the first one there. But I'm not going to make a vow like that. I'm not taking a chance with one of my kids. If it was the cat, you know, but that's not a sacrifice. <laughs> that would be a blessing to give that. But anyway, side note there. But this, it, was, it was a foolish vow that he made. But you know what? He made a vow and he's like, I can't go back on it. I can't, I cannot go back on this vow. Now, has anybody ever read that before? And it makes you scratch your head a little bit. It's like, shouldn't he have been able to go back on that vow? I mean, did, did, did God want him to kill his daughter at this point? And the truth is, I don't believe Jephthah should have killed his daughter. But at the same time, Jephthah made a stupid vow. Okay, either way, Jephthah's going to sin. All right, we'll say more about that. In a little bit, but then it goes on and, you know, she asked if she could go and bewail her virginity and all that. Just kind of have a time of mourning with her friends. And then for two months, she went and did that. But then verse 39, it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. And she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel. 
So we see Jephthah went through with it. Jephthah went and he sacrificed his daughter. So a few things you need to understand about this passage. People will get free. This is another passage in the Bible people get freaked out by. But understand, in the Bible, and especially we see some pretty horrible stories in Judges. Just because the Bible's telling us these stories, it doesn't mean God approved of what they were doing. The Bible's just telling us what happened. And what happened was horrible. Okay? So, you know, don't get freaked out by that. But, you know, people often get confused when they see this because the Spirit of God was on. Well, why would Jephthah have made a vow like that when he's full of the Holy Spirit of God? Okay? But, but notice something. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Okay? There's a, in, the, in the Old Testament, we're not going to look at all the examples, there were many times when the Spirit of God would come upon people, but it wasn't necessarily like the Holy Spirit what we, that we see in the New Testament where they would speak the words of God. Okay? For example, Samson would often, God would fill him with his spirit, but it was a spirit of strength, wasn't it? And Samson would become very mighty and he would defeat people. But Isaiah 11.1 says, And there, came, uh, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We see in Revelation, it talks about the seven spirits of God. It names seven spirits right there. And one of them is the Spirit of might. And so I believe that this Spirit that came on Jephthah that was from the Lord was the Spirit of might. And so it gave him great strength. He was able to win that battle, but it didn't necessarily give him brains. All right? It didn't necessarily uh, cause him to say this vow. This vow that he made was a foolish vow. But uh, So you know, don't get confused when you see that and say God was in on that vow. Okay? The Spirit of God would have known that it was going to be his daughter that was going to be the first one to greet him when he returned. And he would not have had asked him to do that and sacrifice his own daughter. Jephthah came up with this all by himself. Okay? Jephthah got the idea to make this vow. God didn't command him to do it. And notice too, when he made that vow, it's like, if you'll deliver them in my hands. Well, why wouldn't God do that? You know, why wouldn't God deliver the enemies in their hands? Why is he making deals with God like that? Okay? So just understand, there was nothing spiritual about Jephthah's vow that he made. But understand, he did make a vow. And that is, that is a big deal. And Jephthah did, in fact, sacrifice his daughter. A lot of commentaries and things, they'll try to say, well, that just means he never gave her to be a husband. You know? And she basically just remained a virgin for the rest of her life. But, sorry, that doesn't really work because notice how Jephthah rent his clothes. You know, look how upset he was and how sad he was by this. And that's kind of conflicting from what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, okay? If keeping your daughter and never giving her in marriage and her remaining a virgin her whole life, you know, is a horrible thing, is a horrible thing, you know, um, you know, then why, you know, first of all, you know, my daughters can live with me forever. You know, I, I, I get freaked out sometimes with the thought of giving them away, you know? If, that, if my daughters end up staying with me forever, you know, I'm not going to be renting my clothes and, you know, going into mourning and things like that. And notice what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, I'm not going to withhold my daughters from a husband, all right? If a good guy comes along, I'll gladly let him marry uh, as long as I think the guy is going to make him happy, as long as I think it's in the will of God. But it's not some horrible curse if a daughter remains pure 
and lives with her father the rest of her life. 1 Corinthians 7.35 says, In this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age, and needs so require, let him do with her what he will, he sinneth not, let them marry. There's no sin in giving your daughter in marriage. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, he doeth well. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. The wife is bound by the law as long as she as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have the Spirit of God. Okay. Now Paul's given his opinion right here, but he's saying it's not a bad thing if you don't give your daughter in marriage and she remains a virgin. And Paul, it was his opinion that she would be happier if that were the case. Alright? So remember that, girls, when some punk comes along because you're desperate because you think you're 21 and an old mate. You're an old, you're, you know, old mate at 21. Alright? But understand, it wasn't a horrible thing if you just keep your daughter. Like some commentaries say it is here. No, Jephthah went and he sacrificed his daughter. He offered her up as a burnt offering. Okay? And God was not okay with that. Nowhere in, you, in the Bible... Do you see God telling them to make human sacrifices? In fact, you see Him forbidding it. There's only two places in the Bible where you see a human sacrifice called for and it's according to God. And that was Abraham with Isaac. But that God stopped that, didn't He? And then God sacrificing His own Son for our sins. God, did not, God has not ever asked anybody else to sacrifice their own children. Okay, So just, just keep that in mind. So, he, understand, Jephthah had no right to make this promise that he made. He, he had no right to do that. So, I just say all this to say, according to what we see here in Judges 11, Jephthah did do what it says he did. He sacrificed his daughter. But don't get freaked out. God was not okay with that. God did not sanction this. God did not approve of it. This was... A bad thing. Okay? So what I want to do right now, though, the message I want to teach all of you in this message, or kind of comparison I want to do, the title of my message tonight is Jephthah and the old IFB. Say, now, what would make you think of the old IFB when you talk about that? Well, here's what made me think of it. I listened to a message that was just recently preached at a big conference, and it was on this very story from the Bible. And the guy went through the whole story and he told the whole story. and He told it like it was a terrible story. He talked about it was a foolish vow. He mentioned in this message how the only time human sacrifices were ever called for was Abraham and Isaac and God stopped it and God sacrificing His own son. He brought all those things up, but then here's what he did. He got to the part of the verse he liked where he says in verse, uh, look at verse 35, he says, For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord and I cannot go back. And he preached a whole message. You know, I've opened my mouth to the Lord. I cannot go back. I will not go back. You know, it's like his one point was like, I will, I cannot go back. Second point, I will not go back. Third point, I must not go back. Fourth point, I cannot go back. And then the last point, I don't want to go back. Basically all the same point. Alright? And I thought, why would you use that passage to, you know, Prove that you need to stand strong in your opinions. 
And because what especially infuriated me about that, first of all, not is that just a bad way to preach that message. Okay, but he happened to throw a few digs in towards our crowd in here. He's talking about this new movement that's come along, stealing all our young people and our young preachers and our old preachers. And, you know, and he threw that dig in there. And I'm thinking, you know what? I know why you use that passage. Because I'm telling you, I am convinced that the Lord is messing with the minds of many of these preachers in the old IFB because of their stubbornness. Some of the crazy heresies that are being taught in independent fundamental Baptist churches today is absolutely insane. Some of the things these are people are preaching. Some of the best preachers I ever knew are preaching some of the most crazy things. And a lot of their mess, I mean, they're incoherent. They don't make sense. They're unbiblical. They're going into heresy. And I'm like, what's going on? And often King Saul is who we compare to the old IFB. King Saul was a good man. He was a great man, did a lot of good things. But you know what? He got backslidden. He got stubborn. And you know what? An evil spirit from the Lord started troubling him. And Saul was, he was kind of a mental case. And did a lot of very foolish things. And God finally ended up finishing with Saul. And God ended up raising up David to take his place, a man after God's own heart. And we're seeing that very thing happen in the old IFB. And so I want to show you some comparisons in the old IFB crowd to this story that we see in Jephthah. And so, okay, so first of all, one thing I want to point out about the old IFB, in case you don't know what the old IFB is, you know, that's, you know, I still consider myself old IFB in many ways. I am the old IFB practicing what they taught me. You know, I'm old I'm just doing what the old IFB taught me to do. They taught me, you show me in the Bible where I'm wrong and I'll change. I learned that from them. Okay? You know, the hard preaching, things like that, the soul winning. I, I, I was taught that from them. And let me tell you, the old IFB, it is full of great men who have done some great things like Jephthah. Look what it says about him in verse 1 of Judges, or Judges chapter 11. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of an harlot. And Gilead beget Jephthah. So, Jephthah, he was a mighty man. God used him in a great way, and that the old IFB, God used many of those people in a great way. We have the soul winning that we have in our church, and there's still soul winning in churches because of certain men in the old IFB, because of old IFB churches. We have, you know, hard preaching. That is something they preserved. The King James Bible, they stood for the King James Bible, and thankfully, most independent fundamental Baptist churches today are still using King James Bible. Why is that? Because that, that is something the old IFB was strong on. They draw a line in there. They said, I cannot go back. I will not go back. I must not go back. And thank God, you know, they did it in, in that case. And on many doctrines, they did on eternal security. They stayed strong on those things. And they did. They had the plan of salvation right. They had the gospel right. And there are many great things that I got from the old IFB crowd. They were, I'm not taking, I'm not taking away from the things they did in the past. But I will say that things have changed in the last several years. And when I say things have changed, I'm not saying God has changed. I'm saying they have changed. They have changed a lot. And understand too, when it comes to a lot of the things they've done, so, you know, a lot of, you know, they, did, they, they stood for standards. There are still actually some standards in many IFB circles today. Women dress like women and men dress like men because they stood strong on the, these things. They, they were the ones that did that. They were the champions of these things. You didn't see that stuff in the other denominations. You saw it in independent fundamental Baptist churches. 
They stood for those things. They passed those things on to my generation. And you know what? I love them for that. I thank them for that. I appreciate them for that. But I do believe that the old IFB, unfortunately, they ended up making some very stupid vows like Jephthah did. They, they, unfortunately, they stuck their foot in their mouth in some areas. But I want you to understand, though, when they stuck their foot in their mouth, okay, when they did some of the stupid things they did, their heart was in the right place. Okay? Look at verse 30 of Judges chapter 11. It says, And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon to my hands. Okay? He, he did this to the Lord. Jephthah, while this vow was foolish, his heart was in the right place. You know, here he is getting ready to go to battle and, you know, he's just wanting to make sure things are good between him and God. And, you know, hey, you know what? Why don't I make, why don't I make a vow? Why don't I make a promise? You know, well, I think what probably happened, he went and saw a tent set up. They're having a tent meeting out there and, you know, they had the preacher out there, you know, whooping and hollering, getting everybody all excited and all emotional. And, all right, it's time for the altar call. You need to come up and you need to make your decision before God. You know, you need to come and you need to, you need to, you need to pledge this, you need to pledge that. And they get, they get all caught, people get all caught up in the emotion. Unfortunately, that was one of the things the old IFB did. They got mixed in with this camp meeting crowd. You know, the old IFB, unfortunately, a lot of the churches, especially up in the area where I'm from, in the north, you know, we don't tend, our services aren't as exciting as they are down south. You know, there's not as much whooping and hollering and amen. And you know what? I'm for a little bit of shouting, all right? Y'all don't have to act like Yankees. I know you are Yankees. Nothing wrong with uh, not acting like it. But they hear these people down in the south and they, they see these services down there. They see the excitement. They see the people running and jumping and yelling and shouting. And unfortunately, they have taken a lot of these people, a lot of these camp meeting preachers, and they brought them up north to the, their conferences, hoping that maybe they can bring some of their excitement, hoping they can bring some of that camp meeting spirit with them. But unfortunately, these guys brought a lot of their bad doctrine with them. They brought some bad doctrine, got, get them all caught up in emotionalism and stuff. And what they do, they get these people all, you know, just all riled up and all hyped up and everybody's all excited and everybody's crying and shouting. And y'all get down to the altar right now. Y'all get down here. Don't lie to the Holy Spirit. Remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? You get down here. You need to make a vow. I preached this heresy tonight and y'all haven't been following it. And you need a pledge that you're going to stick to these things. You're going to stand by the stuff. And they, these guys, they're all making these promises that they're going to, you know, they're going to preach some of the goofiness that they preach. You know, things like the pre-trib rapture. Things like, you know, Zionism and just worshiping of the Jews. These people, they've, got, they've gotten caught up in these doctrines and they've opened their mouth to God. I'll, I'm never going to change on these things. I will never... They'll get up and preach. I will never change from a pre-trib rapture. Those are notes from this morning. I don't need them. You know, I'm never going to go back on these things. I promise to always stand with God's chosen people, the Jews. I'll never turn my back on them. And they, they, get, they make these vows. They say these stupid things. And then somebody comes along and says, um, excuse me, you got that wrong. I made a vow to God. I cannot go back. I must not go back. I will not go back. I cannot go back. I don't want to go back. You know? Really? All right, that, so that's your response. You're going to preach a message. You're going to put digs at our doctrine that we're teaching where we've showed you you're wrong. And instead of you showing us where we're wrong from the Bible and where you're right, you're going to quote Jephthah, a man who made a foolish vow to God. And you're going to say, I cannot go back just like Jephthah. 
And that's exactly what these people are doing. I mean, I watched a guy do it in a message. And then, of course, he gets done with that message. And what happens? You know, piano starts playing. And I see all these preachers all going up to the altar. Oh, you know, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change. You know, not, it's like, really, why don't you learn from that passage of Scripture that he read and not make any stupid vows? You know, why don't you watch your mouth? Why don't you actually check up some things on the Scripture first? And I'm telling you, and when you when people like me preach against them, everybody looks like, oh man, you're just a terrible person. You know, these are some of the best people. These are some of the greatest people. And you know what? I don't doubt the sincerity of these people. I don't doubt the sincerity of the great men of the past. I don't, and I don't doubt the sincerity of the great men of the present. I believe these people love the Lord. I believe they love the Bible. I believe that about them. Okay? I believe Jephthah loved the Lord. I believe Jephthah wanted to do the right thing. I believe these people want to do the right thing. But I'm afraid. I am afraid that these people, unfortunately, they have just made some stupid things and opened their mouth. And now they just, they can't go back. Okay? And that was Jephthah. Okay? When he made this vow, it was not an evil vow. He had no intention of killing his daughter. We see that. That was not his intention to kill his daughter. But here he is now in a situation where I made a promise to God. I, I can't go back on this. And that's where a lot of these guys are today. They've gotten bad doctrine. They have accepted bad doctrine in their churches. They have got up and they have run their mouths about bad doctrine. They have been called out. They have been rebuked. They have been confronted. And instead of just admitting and confessing that they were wrong, you know what they've done? They've got up and they've made a vow again. And they've said, no, I'm not going back on this. I'm not changing. They go and they mock people like me. They mock us. They say all these negative things against us, just digging themselves in a deeper hole. And then they wonder why when they go to these meetings, they have these big national conferences. A guy gets up and he preaches a message about sticking by the stuff and he uses this passage about Jephthah to do it. And his outline is that outline that I just gave you. And then in that same conference, they have another guy just getting up, like I was talking about Wednesday, just telling Jewish fables and telling what he learned from a rabbi about when God formed man from the dust of the ground. How God spit in the mud. And that's where the term spit and image came from. Really. Big national conference you get invited to. And that's what you're going to spend a whole message teaching them on. Where the term spit and image comes from. And you got that from a Jewish fable. From a lost rabbi. And of course, then invitation comes for that. What do you, what do you tell the people? What, what do we come pray for now? You know, I'm sure the Lord spoke to you about something this week. You know, come to the, that's pretty much what happened. I felt sorry for these guys because they do. They love the Lord. They want to see revival. They want to see a move of God. They want souls to be saved. They want something to happen. But unfortunately, these people have dug themselves in a hole because of pride and arrogance. And they've made a vow to God and they cannot go back. But their vow was a stupid vow. Their vow is and it's got them in trouble. And their old, the old IFB's mistake, it, it, it's been making stupid vows. They, they have vowed to fight for some bad doctrine. They have made alliances with some bad people. 
We've seen because here's because here's what I've seen happen in my life too time too is you know years ago the fight that was going on it was over things like standards and separation and then you know my generation they are still to this day throwing a big hissy fit because they weren't allowed to go to movie theaters growing up and because the girls had to wear skirts instead of pants they're still crying about it to this day and the old IFB, you know, they're just fighting. They're fighting for standards, fighting for standards. And thank God they're fighting for standards. We need to have some godly biblical standards. But unfortunately, they just got away from sound doctrine at the same time. They got away from that. They got away from that sound doctrine. And with what they started doing, they were so worried about advancing the standards thing. They would start, you know, making alliances with people just because they had good standards, even though they had bad doctrine. And a lot of these people, too that they made alliances with that had high standards are like Lordship Salvation people. I mean, people who teach a lot of this garbage that if you've not changed, if you haven't consecrated your life to God, and if you're not living a certain way, you were never really saved to begin with. Some of those people have the highest standards. They have good, godly standards, but they teach these things almost as a way of salvation. Okay, that is legalism when you teach those things as a way of salvation. And they don't say, you know, ladies, you have to wear skirts in order to go to heaven. All right. But they practically teach if you never if you don't start wearing skirts because you didn't really get saved. All right. That's just foolishness right there. But that's where a lot of these people have gone. And the people in the old IFB that used to have salvation, right, they have made alliances with these people. And a lot of that false doctrine has got into their church. And so they, they made alliances with bad people. The King James Bible, okay? They wanted to fight for the King James Bible. Good fight. That is a good fight. They needed to fight that. I thank God they fought for the King James Bible. But unfortunately, when all the supposed intellectuals, when all the Bob Jonesites and people like that that acted like they're smarter than everybody, they all started losing their King James Bible. You know, now all of a sudden, well, we got to prove we're smart too. So what do they do? They start making alliances with people like the Ruckmanites. You know, guys like Peter Ruckman, who is known for being smart, who is known for standing for the King James Bible, but was a flaming heretic and was a raving lunatic when it came to his doctrine. But you know what he is for a King James Bible. And so they would use guys like Peter Ruckman. And while a lot of people in the, uh, in the old IFB wouldn't use maybe Peter Ruckman, they've used a lot of his disciples, guys like Sam Gipp. The circles that I ran in, those churches all used Sam Gipp and they would have him come and preach these King James Bible conferences. And he would like he had this 24-hour King James conference thing that he would do. And he would do a lot of teaching on the King James Bible, trying to help these people defend the King James Bible. Sam Gipp is good at convincing dumb people that he's smart. And so these people like that. And all right, we can look like we're smart too because you know we don't act like we're as smart as the people from Bob Jones. And unfortunately, when Sam Gipp came in teaching about the King James Bible, he also came in with dispensationalism. He came in teaching three Gospels. He came in teaching two raptures. He came in teaching that the Gentiles were plan B, that Jesus wasn't supposed to be named Jesus, that there's a zombie apocalypse coming before the rapture, things like that. You know, he came in bringing all this crazy doctrine. Why did they do that? Their heart was in the right place. They're like, we've got to, we've got to, you know, stand for the King James Bible. But unfortunately, they made alliances with some wicked, wicked men. And as a result of it, dispensationalism is all over in the old IFB right now. 
You know, three Gospels is coming more and more. A lot of them are waking up, but a lot of them aren't. A lot, and a lot of good people who came from good backgrounds, they're, they're now buying into some of this junk. Why? Because they did. They made, they made, except, they made exceptions. They made compromises. Yeah, you know, they're a little funny on this stuff. Yeah, they got some weird teachings on some things. Yeah, they teach that women are going to actually be 33-year-old men, you know, after uh, the rapture. But, you know, hey, they're strong in the King James Bible, so we'll be friends with them. No, they shouldn't have done that. And it's, it's destroyed them. And I'm telling you, their conferences anymore are jokes. It is rare that you hear a message that is even biblically sound, it's, it's rare you hear a message that can keep you awake. It's that bad. Their preaching is that lame. And what's happened too, the reason they made alliances with these people is because certain popes that used to have big followings and a lot of preachers that would come to their meetings and stuff, because of their stands on separation and standards, a lot of churches started distancing themselves. A lot of pastors quit going to their meetings. Well, they didn't want to look like their, you know, their following was shrinking. So what do they do? They start making alliances with these other groups that do fit those things. So they don't look like their num- numbers are dwindling. That, that's what they were doing. And unfortunately, it has led to great compromise. And that compromise, it is destroying them. And, that, and their, their preaching is horrible anymore. And it is, it really is sad to watch what goes on in these conferences. And many of these preachers that run these conferences, these are good men. They're godly men. They love the Lord, but they open their big mouth like Jephthah. They open their big mouth and they feel like they can't go back. They made alliances with bad people that they should never have made alliances with. They should have just stood by themselves if they had to stand by themselves. But no, they didn't do that. They thought they needed help from these people and they didn't need them. Okay? And you know what? A lot of people like to talk about our numbers, how they're small and people that believe like we do. Well, you know what? I'm not going to make the same mistake the old IFB did and make compromises so we can have bigger numbers. Because I don't want my preaching to become like, like their preaching. I don't want my doctrine to become like their doctrine. We're not going to compromise on these things. And unfortunately, they did. They did, and it is destroying them. And so instead of repenting, you know what they're doing? They're being stubborn, and they're sacrificing the next generation. You see, what Jephthah should have done, what Jephthah should have done, I think he should have went back on that vow. He should have went back on it. I'll show you some scripture on that in a little bit. Now, to go back on a vow is a sin. But what sin would you rather have? Murderer? You know, or liar. Well, I'd rather be a liar. Okay. You know, and as a pastor and as a preacher, what do they want? Do they want to be, you know, a false prophet or just wishy-washy, two-faced or, you know, I mean, yeah, you're going to, you're going to look like an idiot when you make promises and you go back on it and you change. That's going to happen. But turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter five. But see, instead of him doing that, he did. He went ahead and he sacrificed his daughter. And what we're seeing today is we're seeing the old IFB. They are sacrificing the next generation. The next, my my generation of preachers, they, I mean, they're a joke. Most of them, unfortunately, are following the trendy route. 
they're going to you know these skinny jeans churches and they're you know going to all the you know contemporary emergent church junk and the old IFB hates that stuff too. The old IFB's been standing against that stuff and thank God for that. Sadly, a lot of the preachers that I that I grew up looking up to, the younger generation that today even even these guys that are, are going bad, even these guys that have gone into bad, bad doctrine. I think about guys like Brother Keith Gomez that unfortunately has just made some huge compromise. He's aligned himself with some wicked people and unfortunately himself has even started teaching some very dangerous doctrine when it comes to dispensationalism, when it comes to repentance. I mean, a lot of garbage in that area. But unfortunately, you know, as, uh, he's, he's right when it comes to standards. He's right when it comes to you know, hard preaching. He's right when it comes to a lot of things and sadly, my generation of preachers, you know what they all want to bash him for? They want to bash him for all the stuff he's doing right. You know, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad he stands up for manliness. You know, I'm glad a lot of the guys these people are following is this Josh Tease dude out in Las Vegas. I mean, he's the most queer bat, you know, preacher I've ever seen that claims to be IFB. Alright? You know what? I, I heard Brother Gomez at a conference one year. He called, he, he said he's a queer. I was like, amen. You know? You know, he, he stood up against that guy. You know, he stood up against that stuff. And unfortunately, most of my generation, they all want to criticize him for that. They're all wanting to bash him for that. And he thinks he's losing that generation because they're just being tempted by all this flashy purple lights, bistro table type junk. But no, you know why he's losing them is because he didn't teach them any good sound doctrine. That's why he's losing them. And then, me, you know, I would like to defend him. I want to defend him. Especially when it comes to those things. And I will defend him on those things. But I can't defend the man himself because, of, unfortunately, he's just made some horrible compromises. He's gotten into some very bad doctrine. He has aligned himself with very wicked people. You know, how am I supposed to stick up for him when he's bashing guys for following some queer dude out in Las Vegas when he's aligned himself with Sam Gibbs and having his anti-Anderson conferences. You know, sorry, man, I want to defend you, but I can't. You know, and now, and so he's sacrificing the next generation. But you know what? Some of us, were not as obedient as Jephthah's daughter. You know, she told her dad, go ahead and sacrifice me. Some of us are not like Jonathan, who followed his father to his death. Some of us have said, you know what? We're going to follow the Lord instead. We're not going to, I'm not going to let you sacrifice me for your big mouth. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let you sacrifice me for your foolishness. I don't see in the Bible where I am obligated to help somebody else keep their promise. Okay? If Brother Mark promises that I'm going to give $10,000 to PETA, all right, you know what? He made the sacrifice to fools. I'm not going to help him keep that promise. All right? PETA's not getting any of my money. Alright, I'm not, I'm not gonna give them a thing. But understand, a, a lot of this next generation, the loyal ones, these guys after that message that the, the preacher preached, that go up to the altar, you know, I'm not gonna change, I'm not gonna turn my back on these things. Those guys are letting the older generation sacrifice them. Because of their stupid vow. And they're too foolish to even understand, did you hear what that guy just preached? Did you hear what passage he just used to get his point across? He didn't use any Bible. He used a line. 
of the Bible to say he can't go back without even taking into context that that was a stupid vow. And that the reason these churches are dying is because of the stupid vows that they made, the foolish doctrines that they have got into. Turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Because it is a sin to make a vow and not pay it. Okay, But understand, often we can get ourselves in situations where there's like no choice but to sin. Because that's what he did right here. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1. Keep thou foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. They're not thinking about what they're doing. Be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. I wish these people, when they first hear about things like, you know, the pre-tribs of fraud stuff, I wish they do like I did those first three years I pastored here and I just shut up about it. I wasn't sure. So I just shut up about it. I wanted to fight it. Okay. I wanted to fight it. The first time I watched after the tribulation, I was like, somebody has got to show this Stephen Anderson, you know, what the Bible is all about. Somebody's got it. And I set out to study. I thought, well, I'll prove them wrong. I kept waiting for one of the big shots to do it. I was always dependent. You know, the big shots have got to do it. Somebody's got to show this guy where he's wrong. You know, and none of them would do it. I listened to one guy who tried in three messages and failed miserably. I was like, come on. Somebody's got to show this guy what the truth is. And unfortunately, no, he had it right. But thankfully, at least I kept my mouth shut during that time. Says, verse 4, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldst not vow than thou shouldst vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? Alright, so we see right there, it is a sin. To make a vow. But what do you do when you make a vow that you shouldn't have made? You know what? Unfortunately, you have no other choice but to just be a fool. That's all there is to it. And unfortunately, these guys, they have not got the humility to do that. They've got too much pride. They've run their mouths for so long, for so many years. They have bashed those that have been telling the truth for so long and for so many years. They have made so many promises and they made them to God. And in many times they did it in a good heart. But you know, with a good heart, with good intentions, but you know what? They got rash. Instead of stopping and saying, you know what? Let's, let's hear this person out. Hey, let's look and see what the Scriptures actually say. You know what they did? They immediately ran their mouth. And I've listened to these preachers get up too and they want to bash what we teach. And it's like, oh, these, these, these mid-trivers, these post-trivers teaching that, you know, the rapture is going to come at Armageddon. They think we're going to get raptured up and come right back down. You're a fool. Alright? Nobody teaches that. Nobody teaches that. You know what you're doing? You're running your mouth before you've even heard what we have to say. And what do they do? They're a bunch of heretics. I'll never go that way. The pre-trib all the way. I'll preach this till the day I die. You know what they just did in the house of God? They ran their mouth. They made the sacrifice of fools. And now they have no choice but to admit that they were a fool or continue being a false prophet. Those choices stink. But you know what? 
a fool is better than a false prophet. You know, there's some hope for a fool. A fool can get right. A fool can at least stop being a fool and start showing some wisdom. But you know what? A false prophet, that's bad forever. It's always bad to continue being a false prophet. And so what these people need to do, these preachers in the old IFB who have made some bad vows, instead of that brilliant outline of I cannot go back, I must not go back, I cannot go back, I will not go back, I don't want to go back. Brilliant. Instead of that, you know what they need to do? They need to acknowledge they've made some bad vows. They need to not say, you know what we did? We got caught up in some bad doctrine. We ran with some bad people. We compromised. Our numbers were dwindling. We couldn't get preachers to come to our conferences. People stopped buying subscription to my paper and say, you know what? You know, I've got to compromise. I've got to let the Ruckmanites write an article in there every once in a while. Otherwise, all the Ruckmanites are going to quit buying my paper. And that's a lot of churches in the South. And, and they, these compromises are destroying them. Destroying their credibility. Men that I loved, and I, men that I respected and I admired, that I wanted to be like growing up, are running with these garbage devils. Now, thank God, this year at the Revival Fires Conference, they didn't invite any of the Ruckmanites back. I hope that's a good sign. I hope that is. But you know what? I still see them advertising in the Revival Fires paper. All right? I know money wouldn't be involved in, in that decision. But you know what? I sure hope not because I tell you, Dennis Corll was always one of my favorites growing up. And it, I hate to see that, you know. I, I, I have a ton of his books. I read all stuff. This church is named Liberty Baptist Church because of one of his books I read on Christian liberty. That, that's, what I, that's what I thought about that man. That's how, that's how I felt about him. And it bothers me it, so much to see the people that he is running with now. The people that even though they have gone deep into heresy, he's not called them out. You know, thank God in his Revival Fires paper, he called out Scott whenever he went against the King James Bible, did like a whole paper against it. But you know what? He won't do that to guys like Sam Gipp who preaching some of the blasphemy he's preaching. That's one of his buddies still. Where Jack Scott wasn't really one of his buddies. Well, you know, it looks like he's kind of being a respecter of persons there. And you know what? As much as I love the man... And have admired him and respected him. He's not sacrificing me. He, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to let him sacrifice me on the altar because he's just run his mouth too much, because he's got too many things in print that he can't take back. I, I'm not. I'm not going down with him. I thank God for the influences many of these preachers had. Men like Keith Gomez that motivated me in a lot of areas was a big blessing to me. But unfortunately, the man is going off the deep end when it comes to who he's running with, when it comes to some of the junk that he's preaching. And I'm not going to let him sacrifice me. I've watched too many of his guys from his college go following the queer out in Las Vegas. You know what? I'm not following the queer in the desert. You know, I'd rather follow the, I'd rather follow the preacher in the desert of Arizona, you know, which they want to get on me for that too. But, you know, and I, you know, I don't know. I can't figure out who he hates more either. And those guys are two completely different, you know, it, but it is, I'm telling you, two guys in the desert are influencing the next generation of preachers. One is a queer, <laughs> hasn't come out fully out of the closet yet, you know, and the other one's actually a real man, but um, I'm telling I, I'm not following that. I'm not, I'm not going to let them sacrifice me. I want to do something for God. 
I, I want to see God accomplish something. I want to see God do a work. I don't want to do like Jephthah's daughter and have to go, you know, mourn and bewail my virginity and, you know, be sad at the fact that I'm never going to have a husband, never going to have, never going to have any kids. And I don't want to say, you know what? I'm never going to see a work of God. I'm never going to see God do great things because I let the older generation sacrifice me because of their big mouths. Not going to happen with me. I'm not as obedient as Jephthah's daughter. And, in, and so what they also they need to do, yeah, they need to decide if they want to be a fool or a false prophet. And in the meantime, they need to shut up and stop digging a bigger hole. Verses five, verse 5, Better is it that thou shouldst not vow than thou shouldst vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. We don't have to make these promises. Okay? Some of these preachers better figure out they need to stop falling for these stupid emotional altar calls and going up there and making all these promises for things that they're just not sure about yet. Just because they trust the man. Many of these men standing behind the pulpits will do like Jephthah and will sacrifice them. Just so he doesn't look like a fool. And so they just need to say, you know what, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to make that promise. Until I get this figured out, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And the ones who have already opened their mouths, they just need to shut their mouths and stop digging a deeper hole. That's exactly what they're doing right now. And so, some of them will never change. They've said, they've said too much. But they need to stop with the emotionalism that's going on in these conferences. Verse 7, For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also divers' vanities. But fear, their, fear, fear thou God. Okay, It's like this emotionalism stuff. It, it, it's, it's all vanity. It's all for looks. Man, look at, the, look at the, how full the altars are tonight. You know, praise God. You know, look at all the, you know, look at all the shouting. Look at all that's going on, you know. And they, they get these people making these promises. You know, we've got these people out there today. With their, you know, altar, I need a piano playing right now, you know. We've we got all you out there today. Y'all being tempted. You're listening to these preachers on the internet preaching on a post-tribulation rapture. We need some men that are going to stand up and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go into that heresy. I'm going to stand for the truth of the pre-tribulation rapture. We need you to come on, stand up here on this platform right now. Come on. Stand up on this platform right now. Get up here. Make a stand for God. You just don't sit back there like a coward. You get up here. You make a promise. You stand up here so I can get a picture and I can tweet it. And then I can hold it against you one of these days if you actually start reading your Bible and figure out that it's a lie. And it, and then now they've made a promise and they can't go back on it without looking like a fool. And unfortunately, that is what is happening in these meetings and in these conferences. And I know I'm misbehaving tonight and I'm going to get in all kinds of trouble for this message. But you know what? I've had enough. All right. When I have had enough of this, the gloves are off. I, I just don't care. All right? I just don't care. When you can get up and preach the things that they're preaching at these national conferences and nobody cares, you know what? They shouldn't care about what I'm preaching. They shouldn't get offended by that. But you know what? They are going to get offended. They are going to get ticked off because it is the truth. And they just need to say today, you know what? I'm a fool. I ran my mouth. Lord, forgive my foolishness. And they just go on from here on out and do the right thing. Yeah, they're going to lose a lot of credibility. Yeah, they're not going to get in the Revival Fires paper anymore. Yeah, they're not going to get asked to preach at the big conferences. But you know what? Maybe they'll start seeing some people get saved in their church. Maybe they'll stop seeing the next generation go down to the coffee shop, Chuck E. Cheese Church. Maybe they'll start raising up some actual preachers. Maybe they'll start raising up some young men that aren't going to look like queers and some girls that don't look like men. Maybe they'll actually start seeing the th good things that they want to happen actually happen in the next generation and don't have to get up in every meeting that they have lamenting the fact that they're losing everybody. 
And they can actually start proclaiming victory. The victory is like the things we're seeing today. The people that we've seen get saved. Guys like Brother Matt, who just got saved, went to a Sony conference, won his first few people to Christ today. I'm seeing that reproduction like that. That's a great victory right there. And we're seeing more and more of that. And thank God for that. You know why? Because we busted free, unfortunately, of my, some of my old bad vows that I made. Some of the things that I said that were stupid. Going to some of these meetings. Getting caught up in the moment. But I thank God, I figured out that, you know what? I'd rather look like a fool than be a false prophet. And at least I can do the right thing from here on out. At least now, I can actually see God do a work. And I'm able to see God do a work. And unfortunately, many people, they're missing the boat because they'll, they're going to the camp meeting and reading about Jephthah. It's like, no, I made a vow. I can't go back. Even if it means kill my daughter. Even if it means I'm going to lose the next generation. I can't go back on my vow. See, that's what, that's what bad preaching does. That's what bad doctrine does. And we've got, we've got to stand against that. Some of the worst heresies you will ever hear are in the meetings where people are looking for an emotional experience. I love camp meetings, all right? Not because they're good, not because the doctrine's good, because they're hilarious, all right? It, that's it. It's funny watching people make fools of themselves, all right? I, I know it's bad they shouldn't do those things, but, you know, I don't want to see it. You know, I, don't, I, ho- I hope there's not a train wreck tonight, but if I knew there was going to be a train wreck, I'd go watch it. You know, we, you know, we all want to see it. It's bad when a house burns down, but if a house is burned down, I'm going to go watch. You know, I'm going I'm to see what happens. And if these camp meetings are going to happen, whether I go or not, and if people are going to be idiots and be fools, I want to watch it. Okay, I talked about the Hope of Israel conference the other day that's coming up. That's going to be the most ridiculous conference probably that ever happened. And I'm praying they live stream it so I can watch it. Because it, it's, it's going to be funny. But, you know, they're, they're just, they're, those people in that conference are going to dig a bigger hole. And I, I'm all for passionate preaching. But preachers need to start taking their words serious. You know, because the more foolishness they say, the harder it's going to be for them to take it back. And we don't need any more Jephthahs sacrificing their children because they've got a big mouth. Jephthah, yeah, Jephthah murdered his daughter. Jephthah, instead of being a liar and a fool, he was a murderer and had no children anymore. I don't want to be a liar and a fool. But you know what? I want my kids to serve the Lord. You know, I want, I want, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a murderer. And so, that's their problem right there. Jephthah in the old IFB, seeing it, same thing happen again, and it was revealed in one of their messages that they preached so clear what is wrong in the old IFB right now. Let's make sure we never get into that and fall for that. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all your blessings. Dear God, I pray you'll help us to stand strong in the Word of God, Lord, that we won't get caught up in making foolish vows and promises and running our mouth before we've actually studied something out. I pray you'll help us to learn to have enough wisdom to let our words be few. And I pray you'll be with those out there in the old IFB who, uh, you know, there, there, there are. There's a lot of good, saved people that are well-meaning, that they love you, Lord. Help them to realize that they're not making anything better by going on with a foolish vow that they've made. Help them just to humble themselves and just start doing the right thing from here on out. We pray a blessing for it. In your name we pray. Amen.